Lightsabers, precious. Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Ryan, is there any Star Wars news you can share with us this week? There's a new Star Wars movie coming out next week. Is there? You hadn't mentioned it. I've only mentioned like every day. Wow. Yeah. And I've tried to look up as little about it as possible, so I go in fresh. All I know is that all the friends are back. Ray, Pope Dameron, Finn... And now they got Porgs. There's also a new BB-8. There's an evil BB-8. It's gonna be cool. You know what annoyed me was when we were at the movies last night and we saw that poster that was like, The Last Jedi, but it was a picture of Finn. I like Finn, but he's not the last Jedi. He's not even Force-sensitive. No. Ray Ray is the last Jedi. Truly, Ray Ray is the last Jedi. Maybe. That could be a spoiler. We don't know. Finn, I mean, from last week, you learned all about force powers and how force sensitivity develops. But he's not force sensitive at all. He's able to wield a lightsaber, but anyone can do that. I didn't know anyone could do that. I thought you had to be a Jedi or a Sith. Think back to An Empire Striketh Back. Yes. On Hoth. Luke is knocked out in the cold. His old buddy Han Solo rides out in a tauntaun, and he got to cut that tauntaun's belly open. Oh, did Han Solo do that with a lightsaber? Yes, sir. Oh. Yeah. So I thought you just did it with like a you know butterfly knife. They were or something. I mean, you can, anyone can use a lightsaber. It's just difficult because outside of the handle, there's no weight to it. So there's a very right. easy chance you could like cut yourself in half. Yeah, definitely. There's no weight to it. Like well, especially like, with like some some dude like Darth Maul. You got two sides on that. Spin it around like a lunatic. You're gonna chop at least one of your legs off if you're not force sensitive. So I see. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, do you want to hear some Lord of the Rings news? Well, that's what I'm here for. Well, the only Lord of the Rings news I have, besides the Amazon show, which I do want to discuss at some point, but it's not coming out for a while, so it's not like there's any hurry, Okay, is that J.R.R. Tolkien's son, Christopher Tolkien, has retired as the head of the Tolkien estate. What? He's 93, so, you know, give the guy a break. Who's going to take his spot? Well, that remains to be seen. So for years now, Christopher Tolkien has been going through his father's old writings and bits and bobs and collecting them and compiling them into numerous, numerous, numerous books. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the latter-day Tolkien scholarship we have is through Christopher Tolkien. Mm. That said, he can be a little bit of a polarizing figure because he is legendarily protective of the rights to his father's properties. Oh, yeah, you probably should be. Hated the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm. Hated them. And as I recall, his son actually came out in favor of the movie versions, and Christopher Tolkien, like, pretty much disowned him. It's because he's, like, 93. Yeah. These picture shows of my daddy's books are just... They move too much. He's not exactly of the generation that they're aimed at, probably. If I had made the film, I would simply have put the camera on my daddy's books and turned the pages very slowly. That's the true way to make my daddy's books into a movie. You joke, but I can definitely see that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That being his preferred form of adaptation. Something that's important is, so as he's leaving as an officer of the Tolkien estate, there may be a rights frenzy for Tolkien properties. So, perhaps more Tolkien adaptations in the future? Do you think Amazon might want them, since they're the ones making the TV show? Possibly, yeah. 
Yeah. So right after he stepped down, the estate almost immediately sold the television rights for the book Lord of the Rings. So the book rights. So that means that there could, in the future, maybe be a Lord of the Rings miniseries or something. They've oh Well, Amazon has already said that this TV show they're coming out with is not going to be Lord of the Rings. So now people are like, well, what is it going to be about? If you'll recall, maybe you won't because you were a baby child and didn't make it all the way through Lord of the Rings, but mm-hmm. there's a solid chunk at the end that's the appendices. Well, that's all the stuff that got put in The Hobbit, right? All that extra stuff? Not all of it did. Well, a big chunk Not of it Not nearly did, right? all of it did. No, a lot of it in the appendices overlaps with the Silmarillion. Mm. So, my personal theory, and I think the One Ring... .net put out a similar one, mm-hmm. is that it's going to be an adaptation that contains a lot of the material that's from the Silmarillion, but it's just going to be whatever material was found in the appendices. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a theory. So what what, what, what uh, encyclopedia did you get all this information out of? Um, this this information did not come from an encyclopedia. This came Finn, from... why are we talking about it on an encyclopodcast? You asked for information and news about Tolkien, and I gave it to you, and now you're busting my chops about it. I thought it. you were going to learn me something from a wiki, and that's not from a wiki. Well, I will learn you... Jeez, Louise. All right, fine. Let's move on to the wiki, since Ryan Baby's got to have it. Listen, this is why I come here. I mean, thank you for the news. Yes. I just think we're we're getting a bit far out in the woods a little bit compared to what our podcast... Well, I'm glad that you used that phrasing, out in the woods, because today we're talking about trees. I remember the jingle from last week. Oh, yes, and, and in case you don't, I'm going to play it for you again. Okay. Yep, I remember that from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. From 1989, that commercial. Holy moly. 1989 was the year the Arbor Day Foundation realized that most Americans didn't know about trees. So what are trees? Well, according to the Arbor Day Foundation, they're terrific. I would agree. Yeah. They didn't really give us much other information. I mean, I've seen Lord of the Rings, Duran, and there's a bunch of trees in that film. There's trees that walk around and talk. What? Those aren't trees. Those are ants. They're in the same family. They're... Mm, they look alike, but don't get it twisted. Don't be pedantic. What tree are you going to tell me about? Well, I'm going to tell you about two. Oh. But I think that this is going to be a little bit more digestible than all the information I gave you last episode, because it's sort of one coherent story. Okay. First, though, I want to talk a little bit about Tolkien and trees. As you alluded to, and anybody who's read or seen The Lord of the Rings can tell you, Tolkien was pretty into trees. I have a few quotes from various letters that Tolkien wrote during his life where he discusses trees. I'd like to lay on you. The first is... I am obviously much in love with plants and above all trees and always have been, and I find human maltreatment of them as hard to bear as some find ill treatment of animals. This guy loves trees. Yes, yes. When he was a kid, he used to climb in a willow tree, and then one day someone came along and cut it down. Yeah. And they didn't even do anything with it. They just let it lie there, and he says he never forgot it. He avenged that tree in his writings. As he says, in all my works, I take the part of the trees as against all their enemies. Oh, okay. You can kind of see why in the 60s he had this sort of hippie following. I bet in the 60s he was smoking trees, too. I cannot see that being the case. He was a very stuffy old Catholic man. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. All right, the last quote. If a Ragnarok would burn all the slums and gasworks and shabby garages and long arc-lit suburbs, it could, for me, burn all the works of art, and I'd go back to the trees. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, you can really see that in Lord of the Rings. You got, like, the, the military-industrial complex being built by Saruman and, like, factories and, and chopping down the forest and all that, right? Yeah, this is why Tolkien is kind of an interesting figure because so many of his beliefs dovetail with sort of the hippie far left. Mm-hmm. But at his core, he was sort of an upper-middle-class stuffy British man yeah. who, by his own admission, didn't know what, for example, homosexuality was until he was 20 years old. That's cute. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting figure. It's hard to see where he would lie on the social political spectrum. I'm going to link an article from the Tolkien Society, and it's called The Nine Best Trees in Tolkien. It's actually pretty cute. Top ten most wicked bomb trees in Tolkien. Blech. Your jaw will drop when you see these trees. Number what four will blow your mind. Trees. It's not like that. It's actually really cute. Okay. And it'll it'll remind you, oh yeah, like there are a crap ton of trees mentioned by name in Tolkien. Okay. But the trees I'm going to talk about today are the two trees, and I think I've mentioned them in passing before. Any relation to the two towers? No. Except for the fact that there's two of them. Oh. There's also no relation to the song Two Princes. None. Even though if it's you two. Want, call me baby. Just go ahead now. There's actually two princes in that song. I was trying to get to the part where they actually say, like... Well, it says, marry him or marry me. I guess those are the two... Marry it's... him or marry tree. And I'm, the... I'm just trying to get to that part. Sorry. Okay. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Off to a roaring start here, so... Yeah. We, we can cut this part out, but I remember when I was a not... kid, <laughs> yeah. my, best friend, my best friend Nathan made a tape where he was trying to sing that song, but he didn't know the words. And so he... When we listened to it later, he just went, Marry him or marry me. I'm a wanna love a bubba, can't you see? <laughs> and that's what I think it says. I think that's totally accurate as far as I or anybody else knows. Yeah. All right, so the two, the two trees. So their names were Telperion and Laurelin, and they brought light to Valinor before the birth of the sun and the moon, because if you remember, the sun and the moon did not rise until the beginning of the first age. Right. Real dark. Real... Well, it wasn't real dark because we had Talperion and Laurelin. Talperion was the silver tree, and it was the firstborn. Tolkien specifies that its leaves were dark green on top and shone with a silver-white light on the bottom, which was moonlight. Okay. It also grew silver flowers that dropped shining dew onto the ground, which Varda Alantari, who you'll remember is the Star Queen, gathered and used to create the stars. Oh. Laurelin was the golden tree and the second to come into being. Tolkien says that the edges of its leaves shone with a golden light, and beneath its branches clusters of gleaming gold flowers grew. That's sunlight. Gotcha. These trees were created by Yavanna, who I kind of gave short shrift last time because I said she didn't do much. You said she was the fruits lady, right? Well, all things growing on the earth. Yeah. Making the two trees is admittedly a pretty big deal, so I kind of wasn't fair to her last time. She created them shortly after the Valar came to Valinor, and then you'll also remember that they were able to grow because Nyanna, goddess of grief and mourning, cried all over them. My girl, crying all over them trees. Yes, your, your, your adorable waifu. Mm-hmm. The trees shone for seven hours, each as part of a 12-hour day. With a one-hour overlap at dawn and another at dusk. So one would be waxing as the other was waning. Uh-huh, okay. Just like the sun and the moon, right? Yeah. So Feanor, a disciple of Ellie the Smith, took some light from the two trees and locked it inside the three Silmarils, which were 
three great jewels, mm -hmm. after which the Silmarillion is named. All right. Okay? So there's some background information, but you might be asking yourself, why do I care about these trees? Why do I care about these trees? Well, I'll tell you why you care about these trees. They're mostly important for all the shiznas that went down after they were destroyed. Morgoth, um. in his eternal dickitude, decided that he was going to destroy these two trees. Yes! However, the Valar all hated his guts by this point, so he needed help in order to even get close to the trees. Well, sure, yeah. So he did what any of us would do, and he sought help from a giant spider. That's where I go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whenever there's trials and tribulations in life, yeah. you go to the spider. I like Morgoth here is like a Captain Planet villain. He's like, I'm going to kill the trees! That'll show them! I mean, essentially... Yeah, that's true. That yeah. whole weird environmentalist streak that runs through Captain Planet, where it's all—it's like environmentalist to the point of being campy. Tolkien had a little bit of that too. Okay. Um, also, you know you're a villain when you're getting help from a giant evil spider. Yeah, yeah. You can't really think you're the good guy if you're getting help from a giant evil spider. That's one of the things I like about Morgoth is I don't think from the beginning he was ever under any delusion that he was the good guy. So this spider was called Ungoliant. 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 But she wasn't actually a spider. Huh? Okay, you just said she was a giant spider. Well, she was in spider form. But as far as we can tell from Tolkien's text, she was actually an ancient spirit similar to the Ainur. Oh, Who okay. chose to take spider form. Okay. And she actually was around before Arda even began. Whoa. Yeah. Just hanging out in the darkness of nothing, huh? Mm-hmm. Exactly. She lived in the south of Arda, and she sustained herself by eating light. Ooh, so I, I see why he'd go to find... Light. Right? That's why Morgoth wants his spider on his team, because this tree is making all kinds of light, and she's, like, probably very hungry. She is very hungry, and, like, stick stick a finger in that. Okay. Because we're going to come back to that later. Finger applied. So, she'd eat all the light, and she'd weave it into threads of darkness. So, the south part of Arda, where she lived, was constantly in shadows. And from this, Ungoliant derives her name, which is elvish for Weaver of Gloom. That's a great name. I know. Never let it be said that the names in Tolkien aren't really on the nose. They're really good, though. They're really good. They're really poetic. I'm a fan. So Morgoth approaches Ungoliant, and he's like, hey, want to help me destroy the two trees? Ungoliant's like, I don't know. I'm kind of busy right now. A lot of weaves to weave. Weaving all this darkness. It's a big job. Morgoth's like, well, these trees give off an insane amount of light, and I'll let you eat all of it. And Ungoliant's like, clear my schedule. <laughs> I'm in. Say no more. So, Ungoliant creates this enormous cloud of darkness to hide Morgoth and herself from the eyes of the Valar and everyone else who lived in Valinor. And this was called, fittingly, the Cloud of Ungoliant. Ooh. And this is cool. Tolkien describes it as an unlight. So it's like the absence of light. It's not just... I think the idea is it's not just the absence of light, but it's a force that actively destroys light. It's like a black hole. Basically like a black hole. And, Tolkien says, it also crushed the will of all who encountered it. it filled them with gloom and dread. Basically. So people are like, oh, I have so much to do today. Oh, God, it's so dark. I can't do anything. I'm going back to bed. It's giving them, like, seasonal disaffected... Basically, it gave everybody in Valinor mad sad. Yeah, mad sad. Super sad. Yeah. S-A-D. So when shrouded in the cloud, Ungoliant and Morgoth came out of the mountains in the south of Valinor, crossed the immense plain of Valinor, mm -hmm. and attacked the two trees. So, oh no. As far as I can tell, Morgoth just starts punching these trees. So it says Morgoth struck the tree, so I assume he's Does he have a weapon? Them. Does he have like a sword or a big hammer? No. Like, no? 
No. No. It's not that's not that specifically mentioned. Okay. So he's just bare knuckle brawling with these two. I trees. bet she has some cool like gauntlets on, like real black. lobster gauntlets. Lobster gauntlets that are like black. As our friend George R. R. Martin would say, lobster gauntlets. Almost certainly. Yeah. I mean, anything else would be mummer's farce. That's true. I mean, maybe he swiped some some really righteous gauntlets from Ali the Smith. Hell yeah. Who knows? So he's punching these trees. Uh-huh. Ungolia is gorging herself on their light-filled sack. Yum, 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 yum. And this allowed her to swell to an immense size. Was, this, was, this, was this Tolkien's fetish? I do wonder if he has an inflation fetish. I do, Presumably, if he didn't even know what gay was until oh, he was yeah. 20, he's, he wouldn't really know what an inflation fetish he's is. He's an innocent, naive boy. Yeah. I mean, I could live without knowing what an inflation fetish Sorry, is, couldn't so you? Ungoliant got very big. Ungoliant got huge, and as she grew, so did her cloud until all of Valinor was covered in darkness. The only part of Valinor to escape the gloom was the high peak of Tanaquetl. Do you remember what Tanaquetl is? Uh, it's the mountain, it's kind of like Mount Olympus, where the, um, the Valar live, right? Well, Manwe, the king of the Valar. Okay, right. Yep, Manwe lives up there. That's yeah. the only part that escaped. The, the Lord of the Winds. The Lord of the Winds and the Airs. Very good. Covered in this darkness, Morgoth and Ungoliant, after destroying the trees, headed north to where Feanor lived mm-hmm. and swiped the Silmarils. Yoink! Yoink all three of them and then fled to Middle-earth. Why would he do that? Because he's a dick. Because he's an incredible dick. What is he going to do with them? Um, fondle them in some dark tower. Oh, gross. While addressing himself in the third person. I actually have no idea. Okay. When the Valar found out what had happened to the trees, because they were preoccupied with a festival at this point... Yvonne was like, well, it's okay, we'll just revive their light using the Silmarils. Not aware at the time that they had been stolen. So she asked Feanor if she could have them. Feanor was also not aware that they had been stolen, but he said no anyway. Why? Well, apparently Feanor was also a little bit of a dick. A little bit. He wouldn't give up the Silmarils, but then he found out that they'd been stolen anyway, and he got pissed. So he led his people to Middle-earth on a quest for vengeance against Morgoth, Mm -hmm. which we will talk about a little bit more next time. Okay. Meanwhile, the two trees, Telperion and Laurelin, are dying and give out the last of their light. Telperion the silver tree grew one last silver flower, while Laurelin the golden tree grew one last golden fruit. Oh, this is so sad and poetic. Isn't it? The Valar used the last silver flower of Telperion to create the moon, and the last golden fruit of Laurelin to create the sun. That's pretty, like, industrious of them. You know, pretty, uh... I mean, that's sort of... They're using the whole buffalo there. Making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. Making the sun out of a flower, you know. I can admire that. Or fruit, rather. Yeah. Now, that's basically the story of the two trees. I told you this would be easier to digest. Yeah, yeah. But I want to end on a couple notes about Ungoliant. Because I really like Ungoliant. Yeah. I like monsters in general, and Ungoliant is a cool one. She sounds pretty neat. Yes. So firstly, she died in a super metal way. So years and years and years after she and Morgoth had gone their separate ways, she got so hungry one day that she ate herself. Oh no! Yes. Or at least this is what some have said, quote unquote. Some have said that she... Devoured herself at last. Devoured her own body. The second note about Ungolian is that she was very productive. She had a lot of babies. I'm not sure. I mean, spiders, I mean, I've seen Charlotte's Web. They have like hundreds of babies out of those egg sacs. It's never said who the father of these babies. Maybe she didn't need a father because she was like this really mighty spirit. She could just make babies when she wanted. Well, maybe, maybe when she was like making a cloud, like maybe her and Morgoth kind of hit it off. Possible. They're both almighty spirits. Both almighty evil spirits. Like they may, they, you know, I don't know. They got a lot in common. Oh my God. That's really sad. 
What a sad untold chapter. Like this weird little tendrus that developed between Morgoth and this giant spider. It's possible. I mean, they went their separate ways, so it clearly didn't end on a good note, but, you know. I'm not sure who else would have him. So maybe Morgoth's just like, hmm? Yeah. Might as well. In that case, this is even more insane because some of those babies show up in The Hobbit Ooh. when they attack Bilbo and the dwarves in Mirkwood. Sheila, sorry. Those are Ungoliant's babies. Okay. Another of them shows up in The Lord of the Rings, and you can guess who that is. You said it all right. It's Shelob. It's Shelob. And her name combines the English word she with the old English word lobe, meaning spider. So she spider. Oh, okay. So it's not actually elvish. It's... I thought it was like lady bottom part of your ear. That's a common misconception. Okay, okay. It is not. Ungoliant gave birth to Shelob, we think, sometime in the first age. So she was real old. Yeah, and she survived all the way until the fourth. Sam didn't actually kill her. He just wounded her and she ran away. So that makes her one of the oldest creatures that the Fellowship encounter during their journey. Do you think she's still around? There are those that say that she is present in the smile of every baby and the twinkle of every lover. Ah, that's really nice. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, Shelob. Shelob forever. Yeah, always, forever, a thousand days, a thousand years, Shelob. Shelob. And that's essentially what I have for you. Wow. Yeah. That was a good story. That's I know. That's, those are the sort of things I prefer to do, the ones that are more narrative. So, the tree died. Yeah, the trees. Trees. I, and I imagine these are very, very big trees. Yes. Well, presumably. Was there any remnants of them after they died? Ah, that is an excellent question, but I have to save it for another time. Okay. Yes. Yes. So that that is that is an important question because um, these trees do have sort of descendants. Okay. One of them was around in a place called Gondor. You mean Aragorn is a tree? Yes! Whoa! I know. I'm really, really... Uh, just tearing the lid off this thing. This is wild. I know. Can't wait to hear about it. No, it's actually not Aragorn. It's, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But we will get to that, I promise. Okay. I'll tell you about it. I was all excited. But I'm... now, yeah. I want to hear about Star Wars. Star Wars. So, uh, last week, if you weren't listening or you forgot, we, we blew this Lord of the Rings Star Wars connection wide open. We found out that Endor is the elvish name for middle earth yes we did yes sir. and we can rightly conclude that if two things have the same name they are in fact the same thing and so i want to follow up on it i want to do some some of the deep diving journalism that you listen to this podcast for you know going deep talking to first-hand sources have my my my, my bulletin board with all the red string all over it hard-hitting uh, game-changing investigations yeah well, welcome to the endor is middle earth truther cast half of our podcast uh because i'm going to tell you about endor oh my god i'm really excited for this so what do you know about endor or the forest moon of endor i know that wookies live there <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> ewoks. joanna ewoks ewoks oh live there oh my god they both, joanna they both have w-o-k in them no it's so. okay because originally they were supposed to be wookies in that movie oh then, were they yeah and then george lucas decided to uh change it around and move that e syllable to the front of the word wait really yeah is that all he did? He wanted a primitive race to fight the Empire, and he was going to use Wookiees, and he realized, oh, wait, Chewbacca is really good at technology. And they're like, you know, they established that Wookiees had built, you know, bowcasters and all kinds of cool stuff. And so he's like, ah, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to make a new one. So he made up Ewoks. You know, George Lucas is obviously responsible for some things that have given a lot of people a lot of joy over the years. Yeah. 
Sometimes I think he was really phoning it in with naming things. Yeah. Yeah, but another thing that might be interesting to you is that they never actually say the word Ewok in the entire Return of the Jedi. So how do people know that they're called Ewoks? It was from the toys and the script and the Ewoks uh, media tie-ins, which we will talk about more in this episode. No way! You watch Return of the Jedi, they never mention Ewoks. So people came out of that movie, the people who saw it initially, and were like, what are those weird teddy bear things? But all the little kids who bought all the toys already were like, it's an Ewok, Mom, duh! See, my understanding is that while kids really liked the Ewoks, the older fans hated them. Weren't they kind of the Jar Jar Binks of their day? Yeah. I mean, they were like, I can't believe a bunch of little teddy bears beat the Empire. They're the strongest military in the galaxy. And it's like, guys... They didn't do it on their own. Have have you seen a Star Wars movie before? Have you seen how bad they are at their job? Like, shooting people at point blank and missing and, like... Just getting shot down constantly in their TIE fighters, and, like, they're not good at what they do. What's shocking isn't that the Empire was taken down by Ewoks. What's shocking is that it ever rose to power in the first yeah. place. The only people who are competent within the Empire are, like, the Emperor and Darth Vader and maybe Grand Moff Tarkin. And that's, like, that's it. That's it's it. hard to tell if Grand Moff Tarkin is competent or just very British. I think that goes a long way. If you've seen Rogue One, he was able to use his bureaucratic powers to kind of swoop in and take credit for the Death Star. That was actually very cool. Yeah. We are getting into the woods talking about Grand Moff Tarkin. This is not a Grand Moff Tarkin this cast. This is the second time. Didn't I also do this last you time? You did this last time. I really like Grand Moff Tarkin. I know. I know. We'll have an episode all about the Moffrance at some <laughs> yes! point. So. Please. The Moffrance is like one of my favorite things you've told me about Star Wars. Yeah. So... Hang on to your seat for that one. Okay. We're talking about Endor right now. So, yeah. So, I, how do you feel about Ewok? I like them. When I was a little kid, in preschool, um, I had an, a Star Wars ABC book uh-huh. that I actually tracked down and bought on eBay years and years later. But um, E was for Ewoks, Aww. and I always really, really liked that page because they were so cute. Yeah. See, I, I like Ewoks, too. And I mean, maybe it's because I saw Return of the Jedi a lot when I was a kid. But Return of the Jedi had three things I really liked about it. It had the whole Job of the Hut segment. It had the final duel between Luke and Darth Vader and the whole, like, redemption of him. And it had Ewok antics. And as a kid, I thought the Ewoks are great. And as an adult, I think the Ewoks are great. I'm, I'm, I'm an Ewok apologist. You're also so. a Jar Jar Binks apologist, though. Well, that's what me. I have a whole episode planned about Jar Jar Binks. Oh, so boy. What a treat that'll wait be. Wait for that. Now, so yeah, so you're right. It is home of the Ewoks. And, you know, it also was the uh, construction site of the second Death Star. Yes, I do yeah. remember that. Because you could see the death, the second Death Star from Endor, yeah. couldn't you? And in the movie, we see the forest. It's a forested planet, right? Moon. Uh, it's a moon planet. of Endor, a gas giant Endor, which you don't think we actually see in the movie. But it's there. What's fun about Endor is that it is one of the more established planets in Star Wars, outside of, like, Tatooine. Because Endor has had, obviously, Return of the Jedi, but it's also had a couple of made-for-TV movies, the Ewok Adventure films. Yes. Have you seen those? Yeah. Okay. A uh, long time ago, but yeah. Yeah, they're very fun. Uh, and there's the Ewok cartoon series. That, that I have not seen. I saw that a bunch when I was a kid, because it was on, like, 6.30 in the morning, uh, along with the droids cartoon about R2-D2 and C-3PO. Now, wait, was the Ewok one the cartoon that had kind of a strange theme song? Yeah, let's play it right now. It uh, It's a lot more haunting than you'd expect from an Ewok's theme, so... All right, here goes... Um, it's certainly memorable. I remember it very well. I remember the letter E. Yeah, so it's covered mostly in forests, uh, and it's home to many, many species, besides Ewoks. You don't see any of them. You don't. 
You don't. The canon side of Wikipedia lists these. So it says, it was home to the sentient Ewok, Duloc, and Yuzum species. Yuzum? Yeah. Those are all sentient? Yeah. It's weird how we don't see the other two, then. Oh, but Joanna, we do see one of them. Oh, we do? Well, do you want me to explain these races in yes, a little more please, detail? Yes, please. Please okay. do. So I'll, I'll start with Ewoks, just so we can set the, set the tone. Ewoks are 95% of the population of Endor. Mm. The rest is, takes less 5%. They're uh, obviously tribal furry humanoids, about a meter tall, all of them. Deeply spiritual people. And this is where I thought it might be a good connection to your half of the podcast, is that their main deity and who they thought they descended from was the Great Tree. No! A sacred tree of the forest, yes. Really? Singular tree, but a great tree. Did it have leaves that were green on top and then gave off silver light on the bottom? Well, my first-hand uh, Ewok sources couldn't confirm or deny, but I think probably. Oh my god. Yeah. They had a nature-based religion, shamans and mystics and all that. They had a lot of fun information about Ewoks I didn't know about in the legend side of things. Most oh, of the love. most of the most of the canon side was like talking about, you know, like the battle for Endor and all that. Like, you know, the stuff that we saw in the in Return of the Jedi. But talked about like their mating rituals, which I thought were super cute. Mm, are they? The courtship rituals, I should say. Okay, don't say mating. Okay, let me try to teddy bears. The courtship rituals of the Ewoks. Okay. Unmarried male Ewoks, they had to build their own huts outside of the village. And then if any female Ewoks wanted to woo them, they would come by their house while they were gone and leave them presents. Weapons or food, clothing, to show their attraction. To let them know that the village misses them. Oh, that is cute. And if a male Ewok decided that a female Ewok was someone he wanted to, you know, bond with, he would leave his hut and join the Ewok village and live with her family. Oh, I have a question, though. Yeah. What about same-sex couples? I mean, I think it probably would go both ways. I'm sure there was... Would it just be, like, two males visiting each other's huts, leaving presents back and forth? Yeah, maybe. Or would it be two females in town? I don't even know what they'd be doing. I guess they wouldn't participate in that ritual at all. No. No, I don't know if they had a lot of uh, LGBT Ewok customs, but... Not, mm. the, not in the article, anyway, but, in, you know, in your in your fan canon, sure. Well, presumably there were some. Yeah. There's some in, like, every species that we know of on Earth, so... And they would have little babies. The babies are called walklings. We <laughs> see some walklings in Return of the Jedi. They are very cute. Oh, my God. Yeah. They love singing. They love celebrations. They thought it enhanced their work. And so while they were out hunting, they would sing songs and, you know... Hard to sneak up on anything that way. Well, they're vicious Ewoks. They can, like, you know... They're good. They're all about music. Musical guys. Talked about some of the, the things they did for fun, like tree jumping. Is that literally just like climbing a tree and then jumping out of it? Yes, this is what walklings would do. They'd find the tallest tree they could find and jump off it, and they had to catch a branch on the way down. And the further down you went before catching a branch, like the better you were. That sounds like a cool way to break your kneecaps. Oh well, yeah, it ends with uh, an Ewok who missed could be seriously injured. So. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's like that thing you do. Did you ever do that as a kid where you just try to jump off things that were really high? Yeah. And then sometimes you'd overdo it and you'd hit the ground and your feet would just hurt? Yeah. Like the Ugh. reverberations. Ooh, it was the worst Jump feeling. Jump off the swing or something. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. the worst feeling. Yeah. Another thing they did for fun, they were known to smoke combustible substances in pipes for recreational or nice. spiritual purposes. Pass the peace pipe. Much like hobbits smoke pipe leaf. Oh my god. That ties into our hobbits evolved to become Ewoks theory. Completely. It's just, it dovetails entirely. So the Ewoks were maybe having a whiff of old Toby. Yeah. Finest weed and, and I mean, soft farthing. I, I mean, hobbits like singing. They love singing. Yeah, they don't like jumping out of trees, but they love singing. They love. They like climbing trees. Yeah, they like. Cli- I don't know about jumping out of them, but they build round little huts, just like a, just like a Ewok does. They had all kinds of festivals, but they also had certain dark rituals. 
It involved bloody sacrifices. Christ, are you serious? Yes, they were held at night under the light of smoky bonfires, into which the Ewok shamans tossed the leaves of hallucinogenic herbs to cause the Ewoks to have vivid dreams. What? What a tonal shift! We go from cute little Ewoks leaving each other's presence in their in their little huts to flipping blood packs under a gibbous moon. Yes. But I'll, I'll loop it back around to something kind of cute that I, I don't know how this got into the article and is part of the legend side of things. Ewoks generally considered Halloween, where they would dress up as ghosts, to be the best celebration of the year. Ewoks have Halloween. They have, Ewoks have Halloween, which I'll talk about more in the future. There's a whole—I didn't realize there's a whole article on Wikipedia about Halloween. Well, let me tell you something. That's gonna be our Halloween episode. So. Hobbits, as far as I know, did not celebrate Halloween. However, yeah, they did have a village called Scary. Scary. That is. I mean, S C A R I Scary is one of the villages <laughs> in the Shire. Spooky. So Ewoks. You know about Ewoks. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay, we're getting we're getting into the woods again. A lot of woods today. Um, but that's appropriate so given e- our theme. Ewoks are the main species of Endor, but there's also Dulocks and Yuzums. Yes. Now a Dulock. A Dulock is actually a cousin of Ewoks. They don't look much like Ewoks. Hmm. Okay. To picture a Dulock, imagine uh, the Grinch. Yes. Like a green fuzzy man. Okay. With kind of a grumpy face, and imagine that with kind of like long floppy ears and a tail. Should I imagine the Jim Carrey version of the Grinch or oh, the cartoon version? Oh, no, no, version? no, no, no. Definitely think of the cartoon one. Okay. Yes. I have a picture of one. Do you want to see a Duloc? Yes. Here's a good visual for the, for the podcast. There's a Duloc. Dude, it literally is like the Grinch. Yeah, I'll post a link to this picture of a Duloc, but... I don't understand how they're cousins. Did they evolve from a common ancestor? Is that what that means? I think so. They live in the swamps of Endor, and compared to Ewoks, they're greedy, foul-tempered barbarians. Of course, literally, all of them, the whole race. See, this is a thing that gets me about Star Wars sometimes, is that you'll have an entire race where it's like, this race is all evil. Oh, yeah. This This, race is all bankers. This race is all... That's totally just a Star Wars thing, you know? Look at Lord of the Rings orcs. Oh, wait! They're entirely evil. But they were created to be that way. Maybe they do. They weren't. Were. They weren't a naturally arising species, orcs. Okay, but they're yeah. They're they're, they're kind of the nasty guys living in the swamp. They're basically like the Grinch crossed with Shrek. Cause I'm a swamp. They have really bad like gender roles too. Like females, it said. All I had to do was like bear pups, clean house, and cook food, Ugh. and including a stew called Glock. Like the gun. Yeah. And prey, such as wisties and walklings. I'll talk about wisties later, but they would actually baby Ewoks. God. Yeah. They were really heinous. They have a rivalry going back 3,640 years before the Battle of Yavin. This is goes. This is a this is a, a millennia-old conflict between Ewoks and Duloks. So basically, for comparison, that would be if we had like a blood feud going on with another species that began in like 1500 BC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they're nasty. They have a hard time uh, keeping clean. They were mangy, unkempt, they had parasitic insects, and they called Ewoks by really mean names like Furball and Fuzzy Imp. Oh, those are so mean. Tree Rat. And for Walklings, Brats or Brawlings. Oh my god, dial it back. And they would call each other even worse names like Chirpo, Dolt, and Roothead. 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 If somebody called me Roothead, I'm going to square up. I mean, it's pretty telling that their king, the Duloc king, his name is King Vulgar. Oh my god. With two R's. So fitting. So fitting. If you call somebody a brat or a Roothead, yeah. I can't think of anything more vulgar than that. Yeah, so those are the Dulocs. They're pretty pretty scary. 
Um, did George Lucas come up with the Dulocs, or did, is that part of the expanded universe? The Dulocs come from the Ewoks cartoon, but they were later canonized in a, in a Star Wars book that Disney put out. So did George Lucas have to sign off on that canonization? I think so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Third sentient species that is listed here are the Yuzums, and you actually do see a Yuzum in Return of the Jedi. Where? You might remember in the special edition. Hmm... In Jabba's palace, mm. uh, they did over the Max Rebo band. Maybe put some CGI guys in there. And there was a guy who just, like, goes, Meh! at the camera at one part. You know what I'm talking about? No! I don't remember a guy going, Meh! Well, let's hear, let's hear uh, this guy. His name is actually Joe Yauza. Yeah. Let's hear Joe Yauza's solo in Jedi Rocks, which is the song from the special edition. that guy yeah i do i i try to forget about a lot of the things from the special edition yeah i i do too but joe yauza is a yuzum which is actually comes from endor in the canon side they describe them as dreamy wanderers they only use even more basic tools than ewoks uh, but they're very good singers and i don't know if meh is that good but the yuzum actually came from a puppet they're gonna actually make more yuzums for return of the jedi they actually show them on endor but they made one puppet and decided it was like way too cost prohibitive and so if you look in the background of Jabba's Palace in the not special edition, they actually have the Yuzum puppet in the background. Oh! So... Cool! So so Yuzums then were something that was extant yeah. or conceptualized at the time the movies were made. They weren't like the Dulocs that kind of were made up after the right, fact. Right, right. So, and yeah, yeah. So when they went back to the drawing board for special edition, like, ah, can we make this more exciting for the kids? Oh, how about that puppet in the back? Let's make him into a CGI man who yells at the camera. The kids are gonna love it. If there's one thing I loved as a kid, yeah. it was, like, weird dudes with big noses getting up in my face and going, meh. Yeah. Yeah, so Yuzums are kind of funny. They're, they're also, they're, like, the third sentient canon species of Endor. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's sort of more facts about Endor. I'm going through the travel log here. Uh, it has an orbital period of 402 standard days. Oh, so slightly longer than than our yep. year. It's got a diameter of forty nine hundred kilometers, which is comparable to Mercury. Okay, Mercury has uh, is four thousand eight hundred seventy eight kilometers. Okay, relatively small. Yep, the capital is Bright Tree Village, which is the village that the, the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi live. And I, I feel like we're getting into a lot of trees tree-based creatures between this and the Wookiee episode. I apologize. You know, I, I like these little furry guys. So if you have a problem with that, all I have to say to you is yif yif, because we're talking about furry things right now. That's too bad. Yeah. Because, I mean, if Ewoks were originally intended to be Wookiees, then I guess it makes sense that... Yeah, we're getting to the end of the canon side of things. Okay. Um, it talked about how off-world raiders came to Endor to hunt the Ewoks in oh, order no! to make, uh, make a... A very popular food called Ewok jerky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's not exactly a special name. No. I mean, the rest of the article just kind of talks about the Empire coming to Endor and building their shield generator. And I really like this part. Uh, it described how, you know, to build the shield generator, they had to destroy an Ewok village in the process. Oh, God. And the, the wiki says, quote... It led to strained Imperial Ewok relations. Oh, did it? I, yeah. Did it really? Which I'm sure those relations were sterling before. Yeah. That's our canon side. The legend side goes into more detail, as it always does. It tells us that the gravity of Endor is 85% of uh, standard gravity. Okay. So then, uh, you know, Luke, Leia, and Han were all feeling a bit kind light on their toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And another tie-in to our, our totally legitimate theory it, first thing it describes it as is an enchanted world. 
Much like Middle Earth. Much like Middle Earth, the most enchanted world there is. So yeah, it had a vast amount of species there because it was kind of a hotbed for shipwrecks. Space shipwrecks. Was it? Yeah. Was it like a Bermuda Triangle type of situation where there's well, some weird magnetic, electromagnetic fields? It's field? because uh, several light years away, uh, there's a black hole oh, called, sh- called the Endor Gate. Wait! So Endor is neighbors with a black hole. Well, light years and neighbors, but yeah. It, I mean, that's close enough, though, if we're talking about I a mean, black hole. I feel like it was kind of an oversight of the Empire to build their super weapon within light years of a black hole. Right! But yeah, a lot of things crash landed, letting like the the species on board free, and so it was kind of a kind of a sanctuary planet. Does so that it, mean there are a lot of invasive species on Endor? Yeah, it, it be, during the Galactic Republic, it became a a wildlife sanctuary planet. Oh, that's nice. They blocked it off. That's nice. But again, do you really want to put your wildlife sanctuary next to a black hole? Uh, yeah, no. I don't know. I honestly feel like neither the Empire nor the Rebel government was all that bright I don't, in respect to Endor. No, no, Endor. Was kind of a bad choice, but it goes into. There's even more sentient species listed here. I mean, we have the the Ewoks, the Dulos, the Yuzums, classics, classic canon Endor species, but it adds two more. Oh, the rodent-like teaks and the amphibious gorfs. Now, Are all these things that they were just named after sounds that George Lucas made when somebody punched him in the belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorf, teak, teak, gork. So Teeks, you've, if you've seen the Ewok Adventure movies, in the second one, they meet a Teak. And he looks like this. He's kind of like a little rat man. Yeah, I vaguely remember looks that. Looks kind of like Master Splinter. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really um, does. And uh, they got there in 100 years before the Battle of Yavin because a Menagerie Ark ship crash-landed. A Menagerie Ark ship. So I'm imagining... Full of animals, yeah. Like, basically a Noah's Ark type thing yeah. in space. And you might remember from the movie, too, they are extremely fast. Yes. They can run faster than almost any other species in the galaxy, becoming a blur when they run. And they can do tasks in mere seconds. Um, they're thieves and scavengers, and they wear clothes made almost entirely out of pockets, it says. Uh, <laughs> like a Rob Liefeld character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got pouches everywhere. So those are teaks. Those are another sentient species, as well as the, the gorfs. And gorfs have a really short article on Wikipedia. It's literally one paragraph. They're sapient amphibians native to the forest moon of Endor, lived in a cave known as the Gorf's Grotto, and known for their exceptionally long tongues, which they use to catch their food. That's it. That's cool. They look like that. They're kind of frogmen. I'll post all these pictures in the, in the description. They look like Rigel from Farscape. They do look like Rigel from Farscape. Uh, they were in one episode of the cartoon, as far as I can tell. Okay. The moon also had slightly stranger beings it lists, such as Mount Sorrow and Whoa. the Sun King, as well as the fairy-like Wisties. Mount Sorrow and Sun King, that sounds like one person. They're two like, separate characters. Mount right. Sorrow is a living mountain that cries. What? It was in the Ewoks comic book in the eighties. Like it cries, like it's like it's weeping. It's got a face. There's some on it. underwater aquifer that's sort of like leeching through, or it cries no, because no. it's sad. It has a face and it cries and it tells the Ewoks it's sad. How would something like that even evolve? It's an enchanted planet, Joanna. Think of how would Ents evolve? How did Elves evolve? Right? It's mad. But those are entire species, not just one thing. That's the size of a mountain that just cries all the time. Maybe he's sad. He's the last of his kind. Maybe he's sad that he exists at all. Maybe he's like, God's sake, someone please. Please kill me. Yeah. I'm a mountain that cries. He's just a big, sad mountain. And the Sun King was the powerful entity who brought summer to Endor. That's cool. With his season scepter. So he was like a Tom Bombadil where it's like this magical creature. He lives here. We don't know exactly where he came from. Right. Another character from the Ewoks cartoon. Wisties you saw in the movies, the Ewok adventure films, are like little fairies. They're also called firefolk, flutterglows, or fire sprites, of course. Naturally. They, they look like fire, and they have their own language, and they fetched high prices on the illegal market. As pets? Yeah. Um... But no one is sure what they ate. 
If they're fire, presumably they ate oxygen. Well, it was presumed that they absorbed firelight, but some people believe that they fed on laughters and manifestations of warm feelings. That's sweet. But, but but as they ate those things, did those things go away? Does that mean everybody was really flipping miserable? No, 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 no. Well, I'm just thinking when Ungolian ate light, the light went away. Well, Wisties... Oh, maybe. Ooh, there's a connection there. Maybe the Wisties are descended from Ungolian. I think that's a safe assumption. I think so. I think, I think all evidence points in that direction. Spiders equal fairies? Yes. Yes. There are a number of semi-sentient species indigenous to the moon. Kaggles, the winged wisties, the predatory grass trekkers, the gorax, and the plant-like beings known as the dandelion warriors. <laughs> Whoa! See, this is what I mean, where I think that sometimes George Lucas is great, and then sometimes he just phones it in when it comes to naming things. Yeah. Because he's got all these great made-up, well, great-ish, yeah. made-up names, and then he's got the dandelion warriors. Yeah. The dandelion warriors are these plant guys with sharp quills on their heads. That they can shoot out. And one in a hundred quills was envenomed, called the Star Urchin Quill. Uh, but you didn't know which one it was. You didn't know which one it was. Dude. The best part of Dandelion Warriors are their actual name. The Dandelion Warriors is what the Weewoks called them. Uh-huh. But their real name is has no vowels in it. It's the Fittisfit. No, it's not. F-F-T-S-S-F-F-T. Fittisfit. That's their name? I thought that you just did a keyboard smash. Nope, that is the Dandelion Warriors' true name. In their own language. Of course, like every Wikipedia article, there's links to all the indigenous creatures and shipwrecked creatures on this planet as well. There's some on here like the Andorian chicken, the condor dragon, ferrets. Uh, <laughs> that's not even a Star Wars thing. That's a real animal that exists in our present And universe. it existed in the Ewok Adventure film, so they put it on the list. Lots of shipwrecked creatures. It looks like there's even Jawas who crash landed on wow. Endor at some point. I didn't realize Jawas went um, that far afield. Talking trees. <gasps> Are you serious? I am serious. Oh my god, the evidence just keeps stacking up. There's llamas. <laughs> Why are ferrets and llamas, like, apparently this interstellar well, race? Well, there's also guapas and pulgas. Okay. Those are Ewok ponies. Oh, that's cute. They're just ponies. They're just ponies. Yeah. They're just literally just horses. Yeah. Okay, cool. Rabbits. What? Blurgs. Sheep. How do you have something called blurgs sandwiched between rabbits and sheep? Well, boar wolves live there, rearing spiders, goats. Okay. All right, sure. Battle of Endor goes how it goes. You know, the, the Ewoks, you know, destroy some some uh, walkers, and they steal some speeder bikes, and yeah. they help win the day, and they have a big party at the end. Yay. Afterwards, there was a bunch of imperial propaganda that was passed around the galaxy called the Endor Holocaust. It's about how when the Death Star 2 exploded, it rained down debris onto Endor and destroyed the forest and made all the Ewoks extinct. That's what they told people? There was a picture from, from a comic where they described this, and it's very, just, very, very upsetting. God! Oh, the poor thing! Is it? But it turns out, that was just a propaganda piece. The Ewoks were completely fine. Much of the debris went into the hyperspace wormhole that was created when the Death Star itself blew up. Oh, because it was so big? It was so big. I don't know if it's quite big enough to do that, but all right. You know like how when a ship sinks, it makes a big like vacuum underwater? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And so the rest of the matter was scattered throughout the galaxy... And the Alliance helped stop some of the debris from falling. They had did some, some defenses over the Endor. So. That's good. And there's a wonderful source on this one that I think you will appreciate that, that this information comes from. Yes. The fact the Endor Holocaust didn't happen. This source is the Glove of Darth Vader. No! Yes. Oh my god, my favorite non-canon expanded universe Which book. Which I will definitely cover very soon. So yeah, I hope you learned a thing or two about Endor. About Ewoks, Dulocks, Yuzums, Teaks, Dandelion Warriors, uh, the Endor Holocaust. Hope you learned a lot. Because Endor is a fun and exciting planet. I think after all the evidence, 
I discussed today, I think we can safely assume that Middle-earth and Endor are in fact the same place. Tallying it all up, it becomes harder and harder to deny. Yeah, it's all there. The connections are there. You know what, though? What? I bet we can find more. Oh, and I will. And I will. Uh, we're on the lookout now. Endor truthers here. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. Confirmation bias, what's that? So yeah, anything else? No, I think that about covers it. All right, anything we need to go out on? or? Yes, I think we do. Can we, can, we, can we hear that guy going meh one more time? Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We should have a good name for our listeners. Like, what should we call them? Mm. Like, I was thinking like Mad Claws or like Mad Claws would be good, but that only encompasses the Star Wars side of things. I know, I know that's the problem. Mm. We'll think about it. We'll get back to you next week. Yeah, we'll come up with a great name for you guys. For now, you're just a bunch of root heads to me. Hey, that was vulgar. It was King Vulgar. All right, Joe Yowza, take us out. No, no, no! Ah, Lawa, good day.